Hello and welcome to Walking the Earth podcast. Uh, hey, uh, everyone, want to thank you real quick for everyone who has given us a rating and review uh, out on iTunes. Really appreciate all the five-star reviews that have been coming out. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance yet and you are appreciating this show, uh, please do help us out if you can and give us a quick rating review on iTunes. Uh, it really does go a long way to help us out. Uh, also, if you haven't taken advantage of it yet, we still have the offer for listeners uh, for a free audiobook from Audible. Uh, that's available at audibletrial.com slash WTE podcast. Zachary, I think you mentioned you uh, are a fan of audiobooks as well, yeah? I am. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than a long flight, right? Right, just, yeah. Uh, Settle in with a good book. Yeah, you had a, and you being an author, you were, you had a Stephen King book. That, um, yeah, wrote. his he wrote a, a memoir about writing called On Writing, and it's the best. People ask me what's the best book for a young writer to read. I think it really is On Writing. It's absolutely fantastic, and you don't have to be a fan of his fiction either, which I'm I'm not a particularly big fan of his fiction, but it's it's a tremendous book about writing. Nice, nice, and a lot of uh, I think the digital nomads out there. Um, our writers, our aspiring writers as well. For sure. <laughs> uh, and by the way, uh, this Zachary I just mentioned I'm talking to, uh, Zachary Stockhill is the full name. Come, he hails from Canada, but has been uh, has been walking the earth for us many, many years now. I suppose so. And I'm Mike Margulies, by the way, if you haven't tuned into the pod, if it's your first time tuning in, and we're sitting here in Chiang Mai, of course. Uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, that is. But yeah, Zachary, you've been uh, on the road forever. You're an, you are yourself an author. Um, so you've, you're a self-published author. You've also contributed to Huffington Post and Mike and other online places, uh, kind of doing the digital nomad thing. Um, you kind of mentioned that uh, you listened to one of the previous episodes the, uh, with Sabrina, the accidental entrepreneur, which actually was recorded in this exact room. Oh, wow. uh, and you <laughs> had related to that, and you, know, you stumbled into the... Uh, you accidentally became a digital nomad of sorts yourself uh, with, your, with your first book, yeah? Yeah, I did. I, um, I mean, I've, I've been traveling and taking long trips since about 2008 when I was attending university. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I graduated uh, from my master's degree last year, I, I had been working on this book about relationships and jealousy and just trying to help people let go of jealousy and possessiveness in their romantic relationships. And to my great surprise, it started selling quite well. And uh, yeah, I mean, since then, I've been sort of taking advantage of this ability to travel and work and, and do something I believe in. And and uh, it's been it's been really great so far. It, it has challenges. Um, it's a trade off like anything else in life. Yeah. But it's, uh, being a digital nomad is really a hell of a lot of fun, as you know. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's about, well, to me, it's about that freedom, right, of being able to kind of you have control of your own life and you can you know be the place you want to be, see interesting things and really steer your own ship. Um, and actually, not, I would say not only is it awesome what you're doing as an author, but wow, just before we started recording, you were talking the story of how you started your travels. Um, you, know, you mentioned you, know, you were studying, you were studying abroad. Um, so I, I don't know if you, do you call that a digital nomad as well? I guess you can still. I think in a certain sense, yeah. I mean, I was, I was very fortunate when I was doing my undergraduate degree and when I was doing my master's degrees. Um, I was, the Canadian government is pretty good about funding mm. research scholars. So in a certain sense, I, I got a taste of this lifestyle when I was still in university, right. when I was essentially being paid to, to travel and do work that I believe in and conduct field research in North India and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, there is something truly intoxicating with this lifestyle once you get that sort of that taste of freedom and yeah. just the infinite possibilities in your bones. It's, it's tough to give up. As yeah, well. yeah. And that's something, um, you know, I never did a study abroad myself. <clears throat> um, I, it's something that you know, well, I, I won't say I wish I did that because, you know, I always say everything in my life led me to where I am today. So I, I'm not going to say I wish I did something different, but uh, I never did do a study abroad. And, uh, um, 
I, I think it's awesome. I think it's a great thing, and we haven't talked about it so much on the show, and it's something a really cool. Th- people who have opportunities to do it, now that I've done spent a lot of time traveling, you know, I would recommend to anyone else a chance. Like, hey, get out there and, and study. You were in India doing your. Uh, I was, yeah. The uh, my first study abroad, I was in two thousand and eight. I was doing my undergraduate degree at the University of Ottawa, Canada, mm. and this Ontario government program came up, um, sending certain scholars in Ontario to go to study at an Indian university for either a semester or two. And it was great. I mean, I was, I was in the University of Pune in uh, South India, close mm. to Bombay. And it was great. I mean, it was, it was also very challenging at times. Yeah. Um, Indian universities tend to run on what's called Indian time, which is right. sort of, um, <laughs> you can start later and, and uh, yeah. go to class and there's some random Hindu holiday and nobody's there and you're sitting in a class by yourself for half an hour. And by the way, it is Diwali happening. right now. It is so Diwali. Happy Diwali. Yeah, happy Diwali to, to all our you. listeners in India. Absolutely. <laughs> I think yeah. we do have uh, some uh, listeners out there from... Uh, oh, happy Diwali. Yeah, yeah. Happy Diwali. I miss, I miss India all the time. Yeah, yeah me too, man. Um, yeah. yeah. I spent four months out there myself, not as long as you had spent out there. Um, so I got, I feel like in four months in India, it was just like a small taste of what that country has to offer. You know, um, it, it's funny because I don't know about you, but every time I talk to people about spending time in India, which I've been fortunate, I've, I've been there several times. And I know the country fairly well, at least the Northern part. Um, when I talk to people who've been to India, they seem to either really love it or really hate right. it. It doesn't seem like there's anyone in between. Like no, nobody's ever said to me, India's yeah, okay. India's okay. It's like they either say, you know, <laughs> if someone a put a gun to my head and offered me $50,000, there's no way in hell I'd go back. Or they're like me, they're always kind of thinking about the next time they're going to go to India. It's not even a question, right? So yeah. it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a very sort of polarizing place, I think. I, I always say, describe India as just this, uh, chaos is the word I like to use. Because um, it's, it's, it's so chaotic, and what chaos means is like you can get lost in it. Yes. Right? it's very possible to get lost in it, and um, but at the same time, the good thing about chaos is if you can navigate it, you can find this most this amazing, beautiful experience that you couldn't possibly have found anywhere else. Absolutely. And so it's like India is like a test of like, can you navigate through the chaos? And it is, but I think <laughs> sometimes you have to sort of just let yourself get lost in the chaos. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. like your travel plans will get messed up, your train will be delayed by a day. Yeah. You'll uh, end up. You know, taking a bus to Nepal, riding on a roof with, you know, a group of Sherpas, whatever. You know, <laughs> like, so and I, that's part of the fun of India. Like, it's yeah. chaos, but it's delicious chaos. I, I, my a, I love that. Delicious chaos. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah. Literally delicious chaos. I mean, is there any better country in the world to eat? That is true. I mean, just, if you're a vegetarian, <laughs> if you're a ra- raging carnivore, it doesn't matter. It's just and the diversity north to south. Like. I just had some good Indian food here in Chiang Mai the other day, and I was oh, like, yeah. so I always get so happy when I get Indian food. Like, oh, I, yeah. just, I eat with my hand too. Like, you know, if I get a tali out here, I'm gonna eat it like I'm in India. I'm gonna yeah. eat with my hand. Um, uh, yeah, it, it and also uh, you are gonna have those crazy experiences, but it's like, can you roll with it? Exactly. You know, it really forces you to hey, just roll with the punches and exactly. go with it. And, and certain substances help uh, mm. with that. I mean, I remember there's this Indian rum called Old Monk. Oh, yeah. Old, is, oh, my God. Yeah, it kind of looks like and smells uh, a bit like turpentine. Um, but yeah. it, it helps one roll with it as well. I had the, oh, my God. I, that, that had the had acid reflux hangovers from that stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. God, Old Monk stays with you. That stuff, that stuff will kill you, man. It will. <laughs> man, I really um, liked what you were saying, though, um, you know, before the show, what you what you actually were doing your research on up there, I find like super fascinating, because um, you were saying how back in I guess it was like the '60s and whatnot, we had uh, this influx of kind of Western people into India, the Beatles and all these kind of folks and coming in and learn you know learning from India, and you were doing research on kind of the opposite of that. You know, what was the impression? And correct me if I'm misstating any of this, right? But the impression that India had of uh, all of this coming in. 
Yeah, I mean, I've always been really interested in the history of, of tourism. Um, I studied history for years, and, and I think at the core I'll always kind of be a his, historian in, a, in one sense or another. And one thing I was really interested in is in the 60s you have all these hordes of Western tourists. I mean, not certainly not hordes in the sense that we have today. I mean, it's never been quicker, easier, cheaper to get to India. Right. Um, it's not comparable in that sense. But in the 1960s, you really have the first influx of Western tourists into India in a big way, at least since the fall of the Raj and, and when the British left India in the mm. 1940s. And this was a very different type of tourist. I mean, you had those kind of spiritual seekers for centuries. I mean, certainly since the beginning of British colonialism in one form or another. You had Westerners going to India looking for enlightenment, you know, doing yoga, um, that kind of thing. But in the 1960s, this really picks up, not uh, partially due to people like the Beatles really embracing Indian culture, uh, expressing an in interest in Indian culture, and, and going to India to sort of learn more. So yeah, a lot of my graduate research was focused on finding out how did in what did Indians think about that? Right. How did that impact their culture? Um, yeah, and yeah. how did, the, you know, did, were, some, were some of them offended um, or troubled by the fact that it was almost like uh, certain elements in Western culture were almost appropriating Indian culture. Right. And, you know, I mean, there, we had things like sitars and pop music, and <laughs> all, all this kind of thing. I was curious about what Indians thought of that. So I guess what sort of conclusions did you end up coming to from all that? Well, like any good academic, I came to some very convoluted and non-simplistic conclusions <laughs> uh, because there's no, we're not allowed to have a straight answer in, right, in, in academia. Right. And, I mean, I think that... that I mean, there's there's a lot of there were a lot of different responses, and I could talk about that all day. But I mean, some of them were things like Ravi Shankar, probably the most famous Indian uh, classical music musician of all time, mm. certainly the best known Indian musician abroad. A lot of people in India started um, questioning his adherence to quote unquote traditionalism in Indian music, and were saying that perhaps he was deviating from these. Uh, centuries of the tradition of Hindustani classical music, which was very serious and devout, and and here he is, you know, teaching, giving lessons to this long-haired beetle, and uh, you know, doing all these things and playing. So they were these... taken aback. Well, I think this. I think so. I think some people were sort of troubled by that, and I think certain, you know, the old guard, if you will, in Indian mm. uh, society and people involved in Hindustani classical music, a lot of them were sort of troubled by and and often confused, I think, by, you know, well, what are these Westerners looking for by sort right. of appropriating our culture and even just expressing an interest in our culture? Because I think many of them saw it as just so incredibly different from Western pop mm. music. You know, it's, you couldn't mix those things in any way, I think a lot of people thought. And there is a big difference, I mean, certain, massive cultural difference between yeah. Western countries and India, but that's the reason. That's like actually the exact, maybe it's just the fact that there is such a stark contrast that like, there is, yeah. it, it forces you to re-examine your... I mean, I, I'm sure you'd agree. I, I generally agree that, that, you know, we have more in common with our neighbors than we have, in, you know, different things. Uh, I would absolutely agree yeah. with that, yes. But even small things, I mean, like Ravi Shankar gained some, and he eventually stopped playing pop music concerts because he was at, you know, Woodstock and, and the Isle of Wight and all these festivals. I'm not sure if he was at the Isle of Wight. Don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he would ask his audiences because it was quite in vogue at the time, much like today, you know, for people to light up a joint during concerts. Right. And he would tell people, please don't smoke during my concert. Like, this is not, you know, you're not seeing Hendrix here. This is a di very different thing, you know. Oh, wow. So there, so that kind of was imported in. Because I remember, I remember in India, it was, it was actually pretty commonplace. Like, people, they were, the charas. Uh, charas, Basically, yeah. um, hash. You know, it's very commonplace to find charas and people roll up, yep. drill up joints or ha they had the what, the chillums. Yeah, the pipes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that was kind of common. 
was that something, an element that was kind of imported by these hippies coming in? Or I had the impression that was kind of part of the culture as it well. It was, though. yeah. I mean, I, I, I certainly don't think the, the hippies brought marijuana to India. I mean, right. If you walk around, it grows everywhere. Yeah, and, especially know, in the north. It just yeah, like, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's certain religious festivals that... You know, have you read a Banglasi, the yogurt? Yeah, the Banglasi, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. And there's certain, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's like a milkshake with weed in it, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, good times. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's unfortunate in a way because, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people would argue that Indian classical music goes really well with uh, with Achara. So, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people. So that was all kind of imported from the hippies, huh? Well, I think I think that a lot of the hippies heard Indian classical music. You know, these ragas, you know, these pieces of music that would go on for half an hour, an hour, sometimes several mm. hours. This long piece of music on one chord, and I think a lot of people associate it with you know consciousness expansion because right. it is. I mean, you do get right. sort of a, a, the zone if you're at a uh, hearing a beautiful right. sitarist play. Right. And I think you know a lot of people would say, oh, some drugs would make this even better. Right. So, but a lot of people in India, and I understand why, objected to that sort of behavior at Indian classical concerts. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. If, you know. If before this influence came, it was more, I don't know, from some perspective, could have been like a more pure thing, you right. could say, and then it, you, know, you could say it became tainted. And I guess it all comes back to what's, you know, point of views and all these, all this and stuff. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. It was uh, a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah. India really is like a, a magical country, though. And uh, it, it, and it is, um, I don't know, there is something special about it, like in that, in that, that sense of like the spiritual kind of way. And it's not just that the fact that there's charas and banglasis and stuff, but there's something, something there and like something in the air, something in the, the culture and like the atmosphere. And uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can achieve enlightenment and spiritual growth, uh, whether you're sitting at home in, you know, nowhere, Kentucky yeah. in your bathtub as just as easily, I think, as if you're yes. in the Himalayas. I think yeah, a lot of people go to true. India with the expectation that they're going to, quote-unquote, you know, find themselves, mm. or they're going to have this amazing spiritual experience. Right. And the way I see that whole thing, whether it's we're talking about spiritual growth or consciousness expansion and all the rest, it usually comes to you, at least in my experience, when you're not looking for it. Yes. And I think if you go there with that expectation, you know, uh, you're setting yourself up for failure. I mean, I don't know about you, but every time I've been traveling, I've always had the best times when I've I placed zero expectations on my trip. You know, I'm not mm. going to have a great time. I'm just going to go with the flow and see what happens, yes. you know, and sometimes that'll lead to spiritual growth and higher states of consciousness, whatever mm. you want to call it. Sometimes it won't. But I think where a lot of Western tourists get the wrong idea about India is it seems to me they think that just by being there, it makes them a more, whatever right. you want to call it, enlightened person or right. spiritually aware or whatever. And it's all bogus. No, you know it's not I mean? like something magical. Like you just yeah, go I mean, there. You can't, you can't Maybe consume. it's like the other way around. It's like the people who are kind of the seekers and I'm going to India. Yeah. You already are, have that in you. Well, there, there's that, the classic, uh, there's a classic tale, right, of the, the person seeking enlightenment and he travels the world and all this stuff. And then when he gets enlightened, he just starts laughing because he realized like, person he was looking for it was right there the whole time yeah and i yeah. think that's kind of what most people when they're on these spiritual journeys whether they're going there you know some people go they're trying to use psychedelics some people go there via meditation or some combination of them travel all these different tools and then what most people from what i've heard and unlike i'm some kind of enlightened man or anything like that but most people on the spiritual unlike me i'm totally enlightened <laughs> right. I forgot to, I, you probably should have mentioned that oh yeah. The <laughs> yeah we've got a buddha here right so. that's right yeah. <laughs> i'm sitting here with the, with the buddha right <laughs> um i'm kidding yeah yeah <laughs> um and yeah but the the f folks that reach those states or even people on the path you know and it tends to end up, and like you said, though, yeah, you are correct. It ends up. I agree, at least, that with you, that it comes to something internal. I, I, I would, I would argue that it's probably, you know, you can, 
there are tools people use to try to get out of themselves maybe a little bit and maybe that help. It's all kind of coming back to self-examination in a, in a, in a, at the end of the day. Yeah. It's like it doesn't matter where you are in the world, what's going on. It's, you know, internally where are you at kind of. Yeah, and, and it's I, I appreciate your comment about laughing too. I mean, you know, I, I'm someone who, this might be too much information, but... I mean, several years ago, I really committed. I was really interested in natural, natural highs, you know, mm. whether through meditation or tantric sex or mm. whatever. And it's interesting that throughout the world, in all kinds of different cultures, whether it's uh, in Sufism and Islam or certain uh, Christian mystics have talked about this experience, whether in Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, whatever, people always uh, often describe these moments of, you know, attaining new levels of spiritual growth mm. or enlightenment, if we want to call it that, and just have laughing their asses off. Yeah, and I've had those kind yeah, of moments yeah, too, yeah. and it's it's interesting because laughter is such a sort of spontaneous reaction, and, and uh, there is something about about attaining and you know varying levels of consciousness expansion that just kind of makes you want to laugh your ass off. It's yeah. like oh my god, like I've been missing out this whole time, and I, it was right in front of me. I have all the tools I need already right in front of me. Exactly. I think that's that's the you hear that tale. That's the classic one. Yeah. Yeah. You end up laughing at yourself. Basically. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, what was I seeking? I'm right here. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, sure. And it's funny because like we can sit here and we talk like okay yeah I know that's the answer they come to why why am I still confused <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly um, but I guess it's probably in some ways relates to uh, your new book actually um, so your new book that was and, a magnificent segue by yeah that. right yeah, that was good. <laughs> it's like I do this uh, on the regular <laughs> um, your new book is everyday joy or how to be happier and healthier and party all the time yeah and it feels like I feel like these experiences you've had kind of tie into this uh, the themes of this book um, certainly and uh, and uh, I guess one thing I would say when I first read this I was like party all the time you know uh, I read a, I, I brought a little bit of your book and what I've come to understand, and you can probably speak more to this, when you say party all the time, what you really, uh, I think, are saying is, uh, you're not saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to get be wasted all the time and drugs, not, no. but it's about making every moment of your life a celebration. Exactly. Um, I really dig that. Actually. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you you just hit the nail right on the head, to, mm. to quote uh, an oft-repeated cliche. But, <laughs> but uh, absolutely, and I, when I named the book, you know, Everyday Joy, How to Be ha Happier and Healthier and Party All the Time, I was kind of hoping to maybe upset or confuse people with right. that, just to kind of get them interested and, and to reconsider partying okay right um because i mean we often associate the idea of partying as being you know once a year at the office christmas party right or perhaps every weekend getting you know plastered with right. our friends at the bar or whatever and it's like that's our experience of partying or perhaps you know we associate partying only with our college years going out and getting wasted every night and you know waking up with hangovers and like that's okay that's my partying years but the reason i really like the word party is that it it generally, when we say the word party, it generally implies, you know, taking ourselves, we just said, like, taking ourselves less seriously mm. and just giving ourselves permission to let down and enjoy the moment at hand and enjoy the, the fact that, in my view, life is a celebration. I mean, sitting here in this sweaty, uncomfortable, cramped room with you <laughs> talking, you know, I, this is partying to me. This yeah, is, this yeah. is embracing life because we're here, we're present, we're together. Yes. What more do we need than this? And what more excuse do we need to party? Yeah. Than this, you know what I mean? Like, so that's that's kind of what I was trying to get at in the book. I, I, I wrote it during a, a very fun-filled and, and very um, intense and, and joyous period of my life when I was in Columbia earlier this year. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's really the main mm. point I'm trying to get at in the book, that life is a celebration. We have the opportunity to, to indulge in that celebration at any time whenever we want. Yeah. yeah. I, you know what you just said? Actually, I'm going to latch onto that right now. Go ahead. You said it was came out of an intense period in your life. Um, I Tell me if this is, I'm, I'm reading correctly into this, but you went through some period of darkness, I'm assuming. 
to reach this kind of conclusion. Certainly. Isn't that funny? I find this a lot of times. Like you have to descend into some kind of dark period, so you can come out like even better. Um, I, 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 that's, I, I certainly experience it for myself. I, I kind of like the metaphor of, you know, say you're on top of a mountain. Well, how are you going to get to a top of a higher mountain? You got to climb down first right. to sure. climb up to the next one, and uh, and that's how I feel. Like if I'm, if I'm when I'm on a high and life's good and everything's great, uh, and then you come, you know, everything's impermanent. You're not going to stay there forever. You come back down, but you end up coming up like stronger for having gone through another hardship. And I find through the hardships is for me somewhere I can grow the most. Exactly, actually. and I mean I think I'm I'm pretty real in the book. Like I'm not trying to suggest that my life is perfect and I'm always right. happy. And I mean I can be an absolute bastard sometimes. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and I think I'm, I try. We to, all have it, man. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, like I'm I'm not trying to come off as I hate the word guru and self help guru uh. and all this stuff. I mean I'm not trying to come off as that at all. But you're right. I mean, you're like coming I, off as vulnerable and human. Yeah, mm. I mean perhaps I. Um, but yeah, I, I went through some very dark periods. I mean, I think for for several years I was a pretty. Um, self-centered and un- unhappy person okay um certainly not all my youth but i look at you know high school and stuff i mean i think a lot of us have that kind of experience yeah, in yeah. high school um of just you know being depressed and trying to find yourself and you know the expectations of others are weighing on you whether it's your parents or school or whatever so uh you're absolutely right the i think you sometimes you have to go through some dark periods to uh yeah. to get to the light for sure absolutely I, I still go through it it's not like um just you know yeah i'm so happy to have taken the steps i took um, to go on this this kind of the travel lifestyle that I'm doing now, you know, yeah, I quit my job and I'm doing all this stuff, um, but I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that like, oh yeah, everybody listening, if you just quit your job and travel, your yeah. whole life is perfect. No, my life's not perfect. Absolutely, I still, I, nothing's perfect. I still go through hardships. I have, I go through very difficult times still. Um, ultimately, I find like we were talking before, it kind of comes back to my own mental state, in my own head. That's what I really end up finding, but. I go through that stuff still. I go through those emotions. I go through those cycles. That doesn't stop. Absolutely. You know? And it's, um, it's a trade-off like everything else, right? This lifestyle. I mean, it's... Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It is fantastic. Yes. I mean, like... You, I you mean, can, I couldn't go back, basically, I feel like. I think I Maybe could. Maybe someday in the future. Who knows? Yeah. I to say. I, th- I think I could, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I've been thinking mm. about this a lot lately, and, and my, my highest aspiration for years was to attain higher degrees of freedom, higher okay. degrees of personal freedom. Right. So... I mean, I'm by no means drowning in cash, but in a certain sense, I've, I've sort of got there. You know what I mean? I can, I can live yes. quite comfortably. Yes. I can travel where I want. I can sleep until noon if I want, mm. you know, every day. That You know, that you have that kind of level of freedom. But the older I get, the more I'm realizing that I think that the ultimate, my actual, you know, the way I'm going to be happiest in life and more just at peace with myself as a man is this, if I'm constantly looking for you know, how can I make the biggest possible impact on the world? Does mm. my life have meaning? Mm. Whereas I think, you know, the quest for meaning has certainly taken precedence for me over the quest for freedom. And I think a lot of people come into this sort of digital nomad lifestyle seeking higher and higher and higher degrees of freedom. Right. But for me, at least, I mean, you know, that's not it. You know, it's like, what impact am I having on the world? How can I make the best possible use of my time on this rock before it's yeah. over? Yeah. And for me right now, um, maybe it's this lifestyle for, for some time, but I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm exploring different options and maybe I will go home at some point. Yeah. I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not sure because I think that that's really what it's about. And I think that's how I'll be happiest ultimately. Yeah. I and I, I can relate to those things um, for me, too. Uh, the initial motivation was the idea of freedom, right? Yeah. I don't want to be tied down to this job or this location or whatever. I want to be free. And um, getting that for the first time is amazing. You know, I remember I actually started my trip in India. So I still can remember, like, um, and I talked about this way back in, like, episode one of the podcast. And I... Um, <laughs> oh, that takes me back. <laughs> yeah, that takes me back. Um, I was at this moment, like, in uh, outside of Mumbai in Kas Valley. 
uh, his field, beautiful field was blooming with beautiful flowers right after the monsoon. And uh, it was a few days into this trip. And I was finally like, for the first time in my life, I didn't have any uh, plan, I didn't have where I had to be, I didn't have any obligations. I was just completely free, and I'm sitting there like, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Like, yeah. oh, this tremendous, overwhelming freedom. And for months, as I've been back, I was backpacking. It was just that alone was just so much. Uh, it was amazing to have that. Um, but the transition ultimately happened for me when, you know, that eventually I needed something. For me, it was the fact that I wanted more stable relationships, and so then, yeah. so I came back, and there was this conflict in me because I so I came back to here to Chiang Mai, kind of stay put, but there was still that part of me. I was so used to having freedom that I became afraid to commit to things. Yeah. So like I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to commit to something, you know, some class, for example, maybe uh, that's going every day, this day of the week because what if I want to go to Pi next week or something right, what if right. I what if something comes up and I want to do something else I, I, I want to keep myself open and uh, and I got myself in this really kind of uh, weird place where I I wanted to have stability but I also still wanted to have uh, the freedom to move when I want and it was kind of like conflicting with itself mm-hmm. and so kind of finally well, I can kind of came to terms with it it's like you know what no I'm really gonna really commit to com- to the stability thing so yeah I'm gonna actually enroll for a month of this classes or whatnot and um, I was actually kind of only even really recently too I finally was like all right come on do jujitsu I'm gonna do uh, start seeing uh, uh, have someone help me learn some Thai and all these things and really committing to that uh, versus keeping the freedom as the number one thing yeah absolutely I mean and you know I've been thinking a lot about what you just mentioned in terms of you know maintaining building and maintaining stable uh, intimate relationships mm-hmm. not just in terms of uh, the opposite sex and dating and all right. the rest. I mean, just mean like really close friendships, friendships and yes, stuff. Yes, yes. And I think that that's something that there's a bit of a trade-off on the road because I don't think many of us in this lifestyle really have that. Mm. Now, we may have connections all over the world. I'm sure you do. Yeah. I do. I mean, you know, people on Facebook and you Skype with your buddy from yep. Colombia or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like you have those sorts of relationships. But there really is something that I don't think communications technology will ever replace, which is actually sharing a room with someone, you know, being in the same physical space as your friends, as yes. the people you love and care mm. about. So I think that, you know, that is a big trade-off in this lifestyle because you don't often have those kind of really close relationships you can uh, indulge at, at a moment's whim, as opposed to when you're living in, in your hometown and you know everybody and like, yeah. let's go get a drink kind of thing, you know. Um, and, you know, you run into your friends quite often, I mean, the digital nomad circles are so incestuous, right? It seems yeah. like everyone yes, knows everybody and, and, you know, so it's... And Chiang Mai also is, like, a really huge, like... It is, It's a yeah. microcosm of all that, basically. Yeah, you, know, you like can't everyone knows walk four feet without saying a white guy with a, with a laptop. <laughs> yeah. um, so certainly, yeah. But, I mean, and it's it's great, too, because, I mean, right now I've connect, reconnected with a couple of really close friends of mine from Columbia. We were there earlier in this year, and you do have close relationships, but it... I mean, there is... I was, I'll tell you just briefly. I was at a mm. wedding this summer in my hometown, and... I connected with a bunch of my buddies from high school. And in high school, we were really, really tight. You know, a really close group of friends. You know, I shared my darkest secrets with them. They did it with me and all the rest. And it was great to connect with them. I had, a, I had a blast. I had a great time. But, I mean, those people, I could still feel separate because those people have been sharing the same physical space now for mm, years. Right. They have a whole backlog of experiences that I just, I, didn't, I missed out on, you know. Right. So, and it's, I wouldn't trade my lifestyle right now, but it is a trade-off sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's funny because for me, um, it's actually very different for me in the sense that, like many of my high school friends are actually in different places. So okay. I've got some friends in San Francisco, some friends in New York, and uh, kind of scattered about. And Interesting. so, um, and granted, so my, my, my mom and dad are, you know, still in Owings Mills, Maryland. Um, and I've got a, a fair amount of my friends, of my 
most of the people that went to my high school, to be fair, are still in like the Baltimore area. But a lot of my really close friends are not there, though. Mm. You know, they're kind of about uh, scattered about, and so it's um, uh, it's interesting for me in that I don't necessarily know that there's like one central hub that's like oh, all the all the people in my life that I'm. I guess in a sense, um, no matter where I am in the world. I'm always going to have to maintain many of my very close relationships over Skype. Sure, yeah. Um, and so uh, it kind of fell in, well, I guess ultimately for now at least, I just I landed on, well, let's make a home then, a place where I love, and so it happens to be here. Right. Um, that's an interesting thing that I'm kind of uh, exploring now. We could, we should, And who knows how I'm going to feel. You know, I'm still kind of, it's a developing thing for me personally. And so in the moment that the idea is I'm going to go visit the friends and family and then come back here and kind of make a life for myself out here. But, you know, I'm constantly changing my ideas and things. So who knows how how it's going to go. Um, Yeah, man. Um, But folks can uh, actually, I'm going to ask one more question. I almost almost forgot this. Um, We ask our guests, you might know what this is. Uh, What is one thing that you would like to do in your life? before it's all uh, said and done just one thing name anything it can be you can name more if you want <laughs> wow um i want to eat an entire wheel of cheese just all to myself all just right. to see if i can do it all right yeah i'd say that's number one wow baxter you yeah. ate that entire wheel of cheese <laughs> no i mean i don't know i mean i think that uh i can't help but think of the anchorman scene <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i mean i i think probably i, I want to make something build something, create something that outlasts my life Okay. for, like, centuries. You know, I want to build one thing, create one thing that stands the test of time, so to speak, whether it's a book or a business or a charity, you know, something. I want to build something that outlasts my sort of physical yeah. life. And that kind of, uh, I think it seems to tie in with, with some things you were saying before about wanting to have that meaning of life as the most important thing for you, yeah. Yeah, having absolutely. The, having a yeah. kind of a purpose and meaning. And I'm, I know, I'm 27, and I've, I think I've got a lot. Well, I've, I know I've got so much more learning and growth to do, and I don't know what that thing is going to look like yet. But I want to build something that really impacts a lot of people, and that outlasts my life. Which I realize is super vague. No, it's okay. But uh, you don't have to have a specific thing. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. No, that's know? a totally fair answer, man. Yeah. Um, no, it's awesome. I think, um, I think that's what a lot of us really want. Uh, we want to, we want to make our impact on the world. Actually, yeah. yeah, some other people on this podcast have expressed similar things. Like the fear of death is about not necessarily about the pain of dying, but it's about you know having leaving this world without leaving your mark. Right. You know. Right. And so uh, yeah, I think that's definitely something I can relate to this as well. Uh, mm. I'd like to, I'd like to think I can have a positive impact in the world. You know. For sure. Right? Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think you're doing it, man. You're putting oh, well, uh, good you. messages out there, good vibes. Um, yeah, you've got... I'm doing my a, best. Yeah, man, that's all we can do. <laughs> your book, your newest book, uh, is kind of speaking to this exact thing. So, and uh, again, that, the name of that book is Everyday Joy or How to Be Happier and Healthier and Party All the Time. Um, and I'll link up to that on the blog post for this episode, which is at wtepodcast.com. Um, other ways folks can find uh, what you're working on. Uh, your website, uh, uh, zfstockill.com. That's uh, Z, as you say. And it's the right way to say it. It's the Canadian way to say it. So <laughs> you Americans can say Z. That's fine. Uh, Z-F-S-T-O-C-K-I-L-L.com. Um, your Twitter handle is the same, at, uh, at Z-F-Stockill. And 
you're also at facebook.com slash ZF Stockhill. Uh, your other site, actually, you met, we mentioned this book earlier, but we didn't. Uh, we, it's called Retroactive Jealousy. And so com. we didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, that website is retroactivejealousy.com. And as you mentioned, that is another. Uh, that book deals with kind of, I guess, if you have a relationship and you're worried about your partner who they've been with in the past. Yeah, it's about, it's about letting go. It's about being present and letting mm. go of jealousy and possessiveness in your intimate relationship. So it's really kind of tied in the same things. It's, I mean, this is, applies more than just relationships, but letting go of possessiveness. And yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a good, it's a, these are good themes. I Let totally, go of your ego. I mean, that's really yeah, what it's all about. Right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Life just gets so much better when you really start committing yeah, to it. And it's that. hard. It's a, it's a oh, journey. Oh, it's very hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, absolutely. It, it's, it's How many people are enlightened, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not, not a whole lot. But. but we all do our best, I think, and we can make mistakes and we keep, keep on keeping on. You know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are all the ways that uh, folks, you can find Zachary. Um, and as I said, I will post up in the blog post for this episode, wtepodcast.com. You can find those links to Zachary's books and all the ways uh, that you can find him on online. Um, and with that, I want to thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode. Um, you know, Please do uh, give us a rating review on iTunes if you like what you're hearing, uh, or get yourself a free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash wtepodcast. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode. Thanks again, Zachary, for coming on the show. Thank really you very much it. for having me. appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it, was it was a good time, man. For sure. Uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot, uh, always. Cool, man. That's what it's all <laughs> yeah. about. So thank you, sir. And thank you again, everybody. And we will catch you next time.